Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome today to our message. This is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays we do Pondering Prophecy. We've been dedicating these Wednesday mornings to this this sermon series. However, if you'd like to catch us twice a week, we're also uh, broadcasting on Sunday. Uh, Sunday is our regular uh, call to worship, and we are presently going through the book of Acts in a sermon series called Unstoppable. So the question today that we're going to address is who are the 144,000 that we see in the book of Revelation? You know, these 144,000 are mentioned actually twice in the Bible. Once in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, and that's our focus, uh, that's, our, that's our focus of our message today. And then again in chapter 14. Uh, these 144,000 have been the subject of a great deal of, of speculation uh, since the time of the Apostle John that he actually penned the, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's the official name of this book we're going through, the book of Revelation. It's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. We never say it as Revelations because the book of Revelation is actually one single prophecy from the beginning to the end. So the 144,000 uh, that we see in chapter 7 have been the cause of not only a lot of speculation, but also the foundation of some what we consider heretical or false doctrines. Let me address first those who, those who the 144,000 are not. We'll address those first and then we'll take a look at the scripture today and try to determine uh, based on our understanding who they are. I said likely who they are uh, because even though I'm confident of the method we use to interpret scripture, Knowing the identity of these 144,000 is not a, a cardinal theological issue. We can have lots of friendly debate on, on who they are and, and speculate as to what the, what, who they are and, and how they uh, relate to the rest of the text. I, I do have an opinion, however. You would, if you know me, you know I'd have an opinion. Uh, and that opinion is actually shared by many. Uh, I'm not un it's not unique. And uh, so we'll get into that soon. So first of all, who the 144,000 are not. Well, first up, first at bat is uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, or the JWs for short. For those of you that don't know much about this group, except maybe you've seen missionaries in your neighborhood, uh, let me explain them, explain a little bit to you. These are the ones that are going house to house, two by two. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses men are easy to spot because they're typically wearing uh, white shirts and black ties. Um, and, and here's the thing, you, you don't have to, to talk to them. You don't have to be polite. You can tell them to go away. They have nothing good to show you, nothing good to sell you, nothing that you would want. Uh, Charles Taze Russell started the Jehovah's Witnesses in 1879. Russell taught that at the second coming of Jesus, Christ would, um, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ, that that would occur in 1914. He specified the year. 
Um, now, at the time, that was at some point in the future, but the closer and closer it got, they had to revise their, their theories. He also said that hell did not exist, that Jesus is not God. In fact, they actually say that Jesus is none other than Michael the Archangel. Now, their vocabulary of these JWs is very Christian-sounding. Um, and that, that actually makes them a very Christ, a dangerous Christian cult. They sound like sheep, but they're actually wolves. Since 1914, the JWs have had to continually revise their doctrine regarding the Second Coming, uh, because again, they said that Christ would, occur, would, would appear in 1914. Um, now they say that the 144,000, for example, are the, the purest of all of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They said that basically that the 144,000 in the book of Revelation were just the Jehovah's Witnesses. But now there's over a million Jehovah's Witnesses. So they've had to revise that. And they say, well, the purest of the Jehovah's Witnesses are the 144,000. And the rest of them, them are just included in what's called the great multitude. Uh, they don't make it to heaven, but they get to reign on earth. Now this is utter nonsense. And the more you look into the doctrines of the JWs, you'll see that much of what they believe is, is pure nonsense. Now another teaching that's actually quite popular is that the 144,000 just simply represents all of the believers that, that go to heaven. In that case, the number 144,000 just has to be symbolic. This teaching requires that much of what is taught in Revelation is symbolic. And there's, you know, there's so much detail in the book of Revelation that all of it really has to be kind of ignored. The scripture says that not only are the 144,000 of the tribes of Israel, they're Jews, but also that there are 12,000 from 12 tribes, and it says later that they are all male, no females, and they're also virgins. They haven't defiled themselves with, with women. So these are just two of the unlikely possibilities of who the 144,000, but there are literally dozens of other interpretations. And we know with certainty that they all can't be true because many of them contradict each other. So, so how does this happen? I mean, how, not, not only with regard to the 144,000, but with regard to the book of Revelation, there's many other issues. Uh, Pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, uh, pre-wrath rapture, no rapture, all of these different, different uh, imaginations of, of how they interpret the book of Revelation. And, and how is that done? Often these people are people that believe the Bible to be true. They believe in Jesus. They attend church. They, they, they believe much of what everybody else believes, but they've come to some very differing opinions on how the book of Revelation is to be interpreted. And that's really what it comes down to. How do we interpret the scriptures? The method that I and, and many others use um, is what's called the literal or natural her hermeneutic method. The literal or natural hermeneutic method. Um, it's actually the best way to understand it is common sense understanding. I, I prefer to use the term natural rather than literal because literal is often one of those those gotcha words as we see so much symbolism in the Bible. Jesus said that he is the door and now that's clearly symbolic but he literally meant that he is the, the only way. Uh, the late David, uh, Dr. David Cooper, uh, who's the founder of the Biblical Research Society, was proficient in, in nine languages, including Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. 
Now he had a saying that's actually taken hold, and I love it. It's, it's called the golden rule of Bible, uh, Bible interpretation, the golden rule of Bible interpretation, which is often remembered in this limerick. It goes like this. He says, if the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. And you know, when it comes to prophecy, I'm a, what's called a futurist, meaning that these prophecies that are unfulfilled in the Bible will be fulfilled at some time in the future. And they'll be fulfilled literally, the same way that the earlier prophecies, the prophecies of the coming of, of Jesus, for example. Uh, just one example, we, the Bible says that, that out of Egypt I'll call my son. And we read the Bible stories and we see that Joseph and Mary, along with the child Jesus, fled from Herod to Egypt and then came out of Egypt after Herod died. That, that prophecy was fulfilled literally. It didn't mean that Egypt was just some town or just some place outside of Israel, any pagan place. It, it meant Egypt specifically. In the same way, we believe that when it's a po there's a possible literal translation of a future of a prophecy that's been unfulfilled, it will be fulfilled literally in the future. Now, specifically, when it comes to prophecy, um, one of the things we understand is that the key to understanding Bible prophecy is one word and that's Israel. Specifically, God has not abandoned Israel. Uh, they are God's chosen people. And that in these last days, Israel will become the main focus, uh, the main focal point for all of the major events that occur, what we see in the, in the book of Revelation. Uh, the question often comes up, uh, to me, directed to me, do I take the Bible literally? And that question comes up occasionally. Uh, and it typically requires more than just a, a yes or no answer. Sometimes I answer that I take the Bible seriously. And I'll, and I'll quote 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So with, with that understanding of how I understand um, the interpretation of the Bible to take place, let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 7 of the book of Revelation beginning in verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the seas, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. We see the 144,000 mentioned twice in the book of Revelation. The other time is in chapter 14. This is chapter 7. 
And we see in chapter 14 that this full number of 144,000 have overcome the beast, the Antichrist, and they're victorious. And they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. You know, this is a preview of the Millennial Kingdom. So let's get some context for our section of scripture today from chapter 7. And before we get into the angels holding back the wind and the seal on the foreheads of the 144,000. This passage in um, Revelation chapter 7 reflects what is happening between the 6th and the 7th seal. Uh, it's a pause. Revelation 6, um, in Revelation 6, the 6 seals are open, which unleash shocking devastation on the earth. First, the false peace promised by the Antichrist, then violence and war, scarcity, famine, pestilence, and death. Then the realization during the sixth seal that the day of the Lord has fully arrived. And we see earthquakes, cosmic signs with the sun turning black and the moon turned like blood and the stars of hell, heaven falling to earth and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. You know, all of humanity at this time is experiencing the, the fury of the Lord. But here, after chapter 6, in chapter 7, we see a, a respite. A pause. The angels are told to hold back the wind. No more judgments for a while. Don't harm the trees or the flowers or the seas. Just hold from it until we seal the 144,000. These are these they're sealed, the seal of God. So this passage regarding the 144,000 is actually a very important passage to understand. And believe it or not, it's really not a very difficult passage to understand if we embrace the ultimate plan of God in the end times and, and here's the key, if we apply the key. You know, if you want to unlock a door, you need a key. And the key to unlocking Bible prophecy is Israel. Paul calls it a, a mystery meaning this is a, a, divine, um, a divine revelation that has not been revealed in the past, but now is being revealed. The Apostle Paul makes it, makes it clear. Um, in the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 11, Paul tells us that the, the nation of Israel, those of the lineage of Abraham, God's elect, uh, stumbled. They stumbled when it came to Christ, um, but they're not beyond recovery. Paul explains that they have received a blindness in part, is the way he puts it. And this present blindness was provided so that the Gentiles, people like you and me, can be grafted in. And that is due in part, or almost exclusively, because of the, the kindness as well as the sternness of God. Kindness towards us, but sternness to the Jews because of their unbelief. And because of this, there would be a, a lack of understanding, a lack of belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ among the Jews. And, you know, we see this at, at work today. Even though the Jews are back in the promised land, the overwhelming majority of the Jewish people today are non-believers. And this includes the present Israeli culture uh, today. Most of, the, most, most of the Jews do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God or as the Messiah. Many of them are still waiting for the Messiah to come. But the passage goes on to say that this blindness on the Jews would last until what Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. 
This fullness of the Gentiles is best described as the full amount of believers coming into the church. Those who are members of the body of Christ and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the, the bride of Christ. And at that moment, when the fullness of Gentiles has come, the church is supernaturally removed from the earth. Christ returns for his bride, and at the same time, the restrainer is removed. It is at this time that the Lord returns, returns and, and turns his attention to the nation of Israel and pours out the spirit of grace and supplication to start the process of the redemption of Israel and saving grace. Now, I'm not going to go back and read it, but the church and all the saints were raptured back at the beginning of chapter 4 in the book of Revelation. You can read about that also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And up until this sixth seal, it may have been unclear to the people that dwell on the earth where all this devastation is coming from. But with the sixth seal, it's obvious that these judgments are coming directly from God. Revelation chapter 6 verses 15 and 16 says this, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free, that includes everybody, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide from us the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now this question, who is able to stand, that they say at the end of chapter 6, is answered in chapter 7. The 144,000 will be sealed, and they will be able to stand. Here in chapter 7, there's an answer, a, a promise, a moment of assurance, and of hope. Remember, it was, it was Jesus that was slain. He is the Lamb of God that was slain for our sins. He is one that, one that is, was worthy to take the scroll and loosen the seals. Jesus is the one that's fully in charge of this earth, actually of the entire universe. And he, along with God the Father, are on the throne. And they are sending these powerful judgments onto the earth. Now, these judgments, however, are, are really just one side of a two-sided coin. God brings judgment during the tri tribulation. But on the other side of the coin, he also brings redemption. These 144,000 that are sealed are a, a missionary force. They are totally committed, sold-out Jews who understand who their Messiah truly is. They are, they are totally devoted to him. Chapter 14 says that they follow the Lamb, that's what totally devoted followers of Jesus Christ will do. They, they follow Jesus. They respond to Jesus when Jesus says, follow me. These Jews are evangelists and they're sealed. They're set apart for a specific purpose. Imagine for a moment what 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams released on the earth would do. 144,000, they, they preach Jesus. They preach repentance. They preach judgment. And they are in part responsible for the greatest revival in the history of mankind. We see immediately, for example, after the sealing of these 144,000, there's a scene in heaven. Verse 9 says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall never, neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, to God be the glory. Uh, during this seven-year tribulation, the earth will witness the most extensive time of the gospel being preached and people being saved at any other time in the history of the church. Millions upon millions of people will receive Jesus as their Savior during this seven-year tribulation period. Unfortunately, because of severe persecution, many will be martyred. I've been known to exaggerate, um, but God does not. Verse 9 says, And I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So many people that they could not be numbered. You know, after the rapture of the church, there will be many that will be left behind. There's actually a, a teaching out there called the partial rapture theory where only some of the church people, some of the Christians go to heaven and the rest of them stay for the tribulation. Uh, but you don't have to believe in the partial rapture theory to have a lot of people left behind. You can take 100% of all the people in our churches that are saved and you can take them up to heaven to meet Jesus in the air and unfortunately, there will still be many, many, many people left that are churchgoers. You know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than swimming in the ocean will make you a fish. You thought I was going to use the garage metaphor, so I surprised you. You know, for hundreds of years, God has withheld judgment on the sexually immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters, the greedy, the, the uh, unholy, the ungodly, those who are murderers and cheats and lawbreakers, the violent, the slave traders, the liars and the perjurers. God has been willing, the Bible says that he's willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all might be able to come to, to salvation. But there's an appointed time for, for God's wrath. However, in his wrath, God also provides hope. He provides the way. He provides the gospel. And we see it here in the ceiling of the 144,000. In addition, in chapter 14, we'll see these 144,000 again. And they've been remained, they have remained faithful. And they've been protected by God. Now, God also provides another witness, an angelic being. We see the angel flying in midair. And he has the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Meanwhile, on the streets of Jerusalem, in chapter 11, 
of Revelation, God gives power to two very special witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, or three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. They testify of Jesus, and they likely testify that the judgments are opportunities for repentance. And it says that they have the ability to strike the earth with plagues. Now, they're killed after three and a half years by the Antichrist, likely because they are thought to be responsible for the plagues and all the judgments of God. But for three and a half years, nothing can touch them. By the way, these two witnesses, they lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three days, and the world has a party. The Bible says that people actually exchange gifts with one another because these two witnesses, their enemy has been defeated. Then after three days, they suddenly rise up and the whole earth sees that. Of course, we, we understand that today with modern technology. The whole earth sees them. God raises them up. And then with a loud voice, God says, come up here. And they're taken into heaven. It's another example of, of a rapture, a snatching away of these two faithful witnesses. You know, God does this because he, he truly loves mankind. Despite the fact that many will not repent, many during this time will be saved. So in closing, let's come back to today. Uh, the present hour. Prior, that's where we are, we're prior to the time of the tribulation. Today we're in what's called the, the church age. We're in the midst of a time period, the time period of the seven churches, what the book of Revelation says, the things that, that are. Before the fullness of the Gentiles, before he that restrains is actually removed and before God has turned his full attention back to Israel. During this time, Jesus says very simply, follow me. It's a very unique time. You know, it's a time of great opportunity, an open door in sharing the gospel, wonderful technology that allows us to, to beam the, the, uh, our, our videos and our, and our gospel and our broadcast into remote parts of the world, to all nations and tongues and people. But at the same time, it's a time of rampant immorality. Now, let's take our remaining time and talk about these 12,000 from the 12 tribes. Many wonder why these tribes in specific are mentioned. The Jews today don't know what tribe they come from. Sometimes you get a little bit of a hint if their last name is Cohen, a word that actually means priest, or if their last name is Levi, coming from the tribe of Levi. But the Jews can't tell you which tribe they're associated with. But God can. There are 12 tribes listed in Revelation chapter 7. And they are Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. In the Old Testament, there are a number of different listings of the 12 tribes, and often the order is different, and sometimes the names are different. In this listing, for example, we don't see the tribe of Dan, but we do see the tribe of Levi. Often, Levi is omitted and not listed because they were a priestly tribe and they were not allowed in any specific territory. Many scholars believe that Dan is omitted here from the 144,000 because Dan was the first tribe to fully embrace idolatry and actually led many of the other tribes in the northern kingdom into pagan worship. However, God is faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful because we see Dan included in the millennial listing of the tribes in Ezekiel 48. 
Dan is listed there along with his brothers. And there's an allotted territory for, in the millennium, for the people of Dan. Now also, the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh are often listed together. But with these 144,000, we see in verse 6 that Manasseh is listed, but there's no reference of Ephraim. And then down in verse 8, Joseph is mentioned as one of the tribes. Now scholars tend to believe that Ephraim's place is taken by his father Joseph because Ephraim, like Dan, was obsessed with pagan worship, with pagan idols. In fact, the northern kingdom of Israel, in the rebellion against God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and in their kings, um, were, were, was mentioned as, as Ephraim. The northern tribe of the, the northern kingdom of Israel is often referenced in the Old Testament as Ephraim rather than, than Israel. Also, of all of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, none of them are any good. Uh, they were all bad. Not one was, was, uh, was good, and that's possibly why Ephraim is omitted. Now, we can speculate why God leaves out Dan or Ephraim. Uh, this type of specificity, however, in the 12 tribes and these specific tribes being omitted is even more reason to dig into this type of specificity. And when we see this kind of specificity, it encourages me, at least, to take it more literally. We know for certain there will be 144,000. Then when the literal approach makes common sense, we want to take it literally. There are very specific numbers in the book of Revelation. It's, it's full of them. There's 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days, a thousand years. There's four angels, seven trumpets, seven seals, seven bowls, three unclean spirits. And, and we can take all of those literally, including the 144,000. Now, in closing, let me tell you that this is actually a very important message. Why is it important even though there are so many different interpretations? Because the 144,000 here in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation shows us that God has still a very important mission for the Jews. God is not finished with Israel. And by Israel, we mean ethnic Israel, not just another name for the church. You know, for 2,000 years, dictators, tyrants, Christian people and even the church has harassed and persecuted the Jews. Hitler's genocide failed and Hitler's genocide actually led to the United Nations sanctioning the establishment of the nation of Israel. And why was that? Well because God has made a covenant with Israel, an everlasting covenant, and all of the promises to Israel will be literally fulfilled. My friends, today is a great day to follow Jesus. It's also a time to look up, for your redemption draws near. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this book of Revelation. We thank you, Lord, in chapter 7. We see the... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.